Comms. On the contrary, I'm Dave Lochran. Joining me as always, as he does every single week, Alex Baker, number one ranked DFS player in the world. Alex, how we feeling, man? We got a little uh, little disappointment. Cam Newton hitting the COVID-19 exempt list. Jordan Tayamu coming up short. We're catching COVID out there in Kansas City. Now we got to postpone game two. Went from a 13-game slate to an 11-game slate. It's not looking very good, but we're going to keep plowing away. Yeah, I mean, you never know what to expect in 2020. It's been wild, but uh, yeah, some people were talking about like cancel the whole slate. It's like, what the heck? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm I'm good on that. Yeah, I want to watch some football tomorrow. I don't know about you guys, but uh, yeah, it should be a good slate. I mean, there are so many good games that losing one. Not the biggest deal in the world. No, I actually like the 11 game slates. And joining us second time here on the contrary, last time was with former host Chris Bags. But joining us again, Ian Harditz of Pro Football Focus, one of the sharpest DFS and fantasy football minds out there. Ian, man, we got 11 games down from 13. Still a ton to talk about. And what we've seen definitely from week one through week four is. We're getting some really ballooned totals, 50-plus points on a more than just a handful of games this week. So there's a ton to get into today. Yeah, good to be back. Appreciate you guys having me on again. And, yeah, you know, I forget who was the first person to kind of figure out that they're calling, calling offensive holdings just at a much lower rate than this season. But as they should, man, it's just, uh, you know, you can find a holding on every single play. So you might as well make it only the most uh, egregious ones. I think, you know, all of us out there, you know, even non-fantasy players, everyone, everyone wants more points. So I'm happy with whatever is the cause of it. Yeah, and Thursday, just a, a litany of personal <laughs> fouls. I'm not, I don't remember seeing anything like that in a while. But uh, as our guest, we'll kick it off with you, Ian. I know you over there on Twitter. By the way, hit him up, follow him at iHeartTits. Um, I saw a tweet earlier today about Cam Newton. It was just basically a meme of Cam Newton giving some wild face. He's out, already ruled out with COVID-19, tested positive. The Chiefs game has since been postponed. Hopefully they get this started on Tuesday. Uh, it's a pretty big blow knowing that the Tennessee Titans and Pittsburgh Steelers have already postponed their game to much later in the season. Uh, but how does this affect how you go about this slate? Is there anything really different? I saw this a tweet a earlier. We're targeting heavily uh, and now we don't have or what? I wasn't sold on it yet, but my initial uh, cash game build had Nikhil Harry in there trying to save some salary because him and even Demir Bird at three grand, I thought were kind of the two prime options where, okay, you don't feel great about these guys, but if you really want to get the Seahawks, you know, and then also pay off for Kamara, you had to take kind of a bite somewhere. And at least, you know, in that negative game script with Cam, you could at least feel good about six to eight targets. So going to have to do some re-racking there, you know, might have to try to get off of one of Metcalf or Lockett. We'll, we'll see what happens there. I got to go back to the lab. But uh, other than that, I mean, Clyde Edwards Solaire, I think was a little bit underpriced uh, with, you know, that coming out after Monday night. I think he could have been in that 7,000 range normally. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but that uh, range of running backs, now 55k uh, to 6,000 might even just be chalkier than ever because we don't have a uh, Clyde to go up there anymore. So it's unfortunate, but hey guys, now we got a Tuesday night uh, showdown slate. Hopefully, so it's not all bad. Yeah, and you know, you talk about that similar range. Joe Mixon questionable with a chest injury that could make a that could even put more of a dent in in the available players and really funnel guys to a lot of the same players in that range. We're happy to have all of you guys with us as always. If you're just walking in the door. Pop that thumbs up, man. It helps us out a ton here so we can keep putting free content out on the site. Subscribe, hit the notification bell as well. Um, Alex, let's dive right into it. We're going to, this is a, called On the Contrary for a reason. We want to give you 
tournament approach strategy, really look at some of the highest owned games, highest owned teams, players, uh, and, and, and not just not necessarily say, OK, here's all of our pivots, but more so, what are we doing with them? Are we sticking to the chalk? Are we pivoting off of them? Uh, and you know what? In, uh, in honor of Ian being with us today, we'll give our helicopter plays to close out the show. And Ian, correct me if I'm wrong. It's guys that are sub 5% projected ownership and not top five at their position, right? Correct. And the goal is 100 total yards and two touchdowns for quarterbacks, 304. So not the easiest thing to do out there, but that's why we, we got to try, right? Lofty goals for sure. We'll give you our favorite prop bets too. Uh, you can check all of that out at awesomeo.com slash or awesomeo.oddshopper, sorry, dot awesomeo.com or just go to awesomeo.com. It's right there at the top. All right, Alex, let's kick it off with um, – with this Cleveland and Dallas game, highest total on the slate. We're not going to go full game by game, but I want to hit on all of the important stuff. Cleveland and Dallas, Dallas laying four and a half points at home. It's 56 and a half point total. This has continued to climb throughout the week, but I do find it to be a very interesting game because guys like Cooper and CeeDee Lamb and Gallup and specifically Dak Prescott have been getting a ton of ownership, been very popular, playing from behind, forced to throw the football, playing at a really fast pace. This feels like a spot where Ezekiel Elliott could do a ton of damage. What are you doing with the Dallas Cowboys side of this one, knowing that they've just been a juggernaut offensively, but defensively they've been Swiss cheese coughing up so many yards and points that it's made for such some of the best fantasy environment that we've had all season. Definitely. I mean, Dallas won a ton of people last week, Michael Gallup being their uh, high scoring player. And they've just been throwing the ball a lot. They're really efficient, both rushing and passing. And as you mentioned, their defense isn't good enough to really close the game out. So you get a lot of uh, good good plays from these guys. So it's really a, a situation where you can pick any of the, the main players on Dallas, like the Dak stack. Um, Zeke, as you mentioned, a great play, especially since some of the other top running backs are... Uh, injured uh right now although Camara really does stand out as kind of like a hard to fade expensive option on the slate so Zeke is going to play second field to Camara uh the one guy I'm really keying in on on Dallas is Amari Cooper for some reason every single week he gets exactly the same score and it's not <laughs> enough to win you any money He's but, not finding the end zone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's getting the opportunities for sure. Yeah, and wide receiver touchdowns are, are so like few and far between. I mean, I have Amari Cooper for like 0.6 touchdowns, so uh, about 50-50 chance he's going to score a touchdown this week, and that, that's pretty good. I mean, I think that he has a ton of upside. He's efficient. He gets targeted a lot, and... uh I'll say some stats from PFF, and we got you in here to kind of. I'm curious how you use all of these, but what, oh, what I look at are the routes run first of all, and then the amount of targets uh, when they're running routes. And, and Mari Cooper is really good in both categories. 91% of routes run on passing dropbacks this year, and he gets targeted 24% of the time. So, like, pretty much like, aside from a couple guys, like about the highest volume of targets you can get in the league. Ian, I don't want to go too far into trying to project project or predict a game script here because there's a lot of different directions this could take. But it's fascinating that on the Cowboys side, you have Zeke and you have a pretty dominant aerial attack. On Cleveland's side, and I believe I heard you mention Jarvis Landry as well, 
uh, a guy running a lot of routes just hasn't been very involved coming off a hip injury. Uh, but they've got both two. It's just dependent on what Baker Mayfield does. He was hurt. He had said for his receivers to be patient earlier this week. You have Odell Beckham, you have Jarvis Landry, you have Austin Hooper. And then of course, in the backfield, you have Chubb and Kareem hunt. Uh, does this game on both sides look like a recipe for success for you? Or are you really just targeting one or the other? No, I think we can game stack the whole thing. I mean, if you just look at situation neutral pace, you know, the guys at Football Outsiders are calculating this. The Cowboys are running a play every 22 seconds. The next closest team is at 26 seconds. They're truly in another stratosphere Great. in terms of how fast they're running up and down the field. So even when they are putting up points, I mean, Cleveland in positive or negative game script is going to be able to, you know, do their thing this week. It's just a matter of how much is Chubb going to eat it. Can uh, the Cowboys force Baker to put his foot on the gas? Because he only had, he's only had to throw 23 passes in these past two games against the Bengals in the foot in Washington. So I think the Cowboys are going to force him to throw a little bit more than that. We saw it in week one, but that was against the Ravens. Do not confuse the Cowboys secondary with the Ravens. Uh, one of the wilder stats I found this whole week was as bad as the Cowboys have been this year in the secondary, they've gotten luckier than anyone because no team has dropped more passes at a higher rate uh, than, you know, against the Cowboys this year. So been a disaster from that stretch. So yeah, Jarvis Landry, I mean, looking at it, my first thought was, okay, coming off of offseason hip surgery, they probably haven't had him out on the field as often as a uh, best. Beckham, but that hasn't been the case. It's been eight, uh, 83 routes for Beckham, 80 for Landry. So I love Landry in this spot. He's kind of like the most under-owned uh, key player. The targets haven't been there, but look, I mean, Kevin Stefanski is running the Vikings offense with the Browns right now. And uh, Beckham has that, you know, fantasy-friendly deep ball stuff on Diggs roll. But Landry's more or less their uh, Adam Thielen. And if we can get those pass volume up, uh, both guys have the potential to eat. I uh, love the Cooper call. And yeah, only thing I would caution, uh, I guess, is C.D. Lamb last week. We kind of saw his snaps and stuff uh, draw. He was an 80% guy the first two weeks. Cedric Wilson got uh, more involved in week three. So uh, not that CD can't make the most of his opportunities, but, you know, I'd be more willing to go Cooper and Gallup this week. I mean, there's even a situation where they took CD off the field on punt return. He wasn't on the injury report, but just something maybe a uh, monitor uh, in the oncoming weeks. Where do you stand on Beckham? Because Baker Mayfield, I think he has only 92 dropbacks, according to Pro Football Focus, 92 dropbacks through three games. Uh, they've leaned heavily on the ground game in weeks two and week three. But Odell Beckham, when you're actually looking at the concentration of targets, he does have a, a, a tar market share of targets north of 27 uh, percent. Is that enough to give him a look this week in these game stacks? Yeah, I'd be more in on him, like, regardless of even game stacks. If he didn't have that back injury pop up, he's going to play through it, and he's not, you know, even listed with a, a designation, but still troubling. He's looked healthier than he has in a while early on, so it's disappointing to see that. But, I mean, to see him under 6K, you know, he's still not even going to be the chalkiest guy in that range with DJ Moore uh, hanging around there. So, yeah, no, I think it's fine. You can go uh, – if you want – I mean, Zeke, if you really think it's going to be a Zeke game, you know, Baker, uh, Beckham, Landry, and Zeke, and you might even get, you know, majority of the touchdowns scored. Yeah, and Zeke targeted an, an astronomical amount yeah. last week. I still don't feel entirely comfortable pairing him with Dak. But uh, to close this game out, Alex, let me ask you this. Are you, are you interested in the ground game on either side, or is this one that you're just going to have a very tough time getting away from, from the passing game on, on each of this? Because it appears as of now, Zeke's still getting ownership, but most people anticipate this one shooting out through the air and not on the ground, which if it's on the ground, it's not going to be a whole lot of a shootout. Yeah, I mean, Zeke is pretty much game script proof, so I'm just plugging and playing him uh, since he's on the field when they're uh, on passing down. So uh, the thing with Cleveland is... They're, they've been a run-first team uh, 
so far this year. As you guys mentioned, not many dropbacks. They've run the ball 52% of the time. Last year is 44% of the time. So, I mean, they've, they've run the ball at a very high rate. And you'd expect the value to come at running back. But the the workload has been pretty evenly distributed between Hunt and Chubb, and they're both expensive. So it's hard to really get to them. So I do like picking maybe Baker, or, or sorry, Odell Beckham, and maybe the sack with Baker, just because uh, if they're if they have the right game script, they'll have to throw. Odell Beckham is fifty eight hundred on DraftKings, so he's pretty cheap for a good wide receiver. And Jarvis Landry I like as well, so that does some good contrary and stuff. The Vikings in Houston, Ian, are likely going to be locked into a, a battle between relatively inept defenses and offenses that have a couple really solid pieces. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to shit on Houston's defense and, and put them in the same category as Minnesota. Uh, I think Minnesota's in some real trouble in this respect, but you've got a 54 and a half point total. Houston's laying four and a half points, and you're definitely going to have ownership uh, on both sides of this game. Mostly Houston, though, pulling a lot of ownership from Deshaun Watson uh, to David Johnson, whose ownership actually came down a little bit from, uh, throughout the week. Uh, but ultimately, this is a pretty popular spot. Most people who have watched the first three weeks of the season uh, have understood thus far that Minnesota's defense has really, really struggled in both phases of the game. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we were just talking about how it was tough to get one of the Browns running backs because it's been evenly split. But I think if you want to go with the Texans passing game and then wrap it back around with Dalvin Cook, this is a situation where you could be uh, more willing to do that. Uh, every week uh, I do an article, Mismatch Manifesto, where I like to take uh, a look at yards before contact is one of the things. Look at the offenses and the defenses, combine them, so then you actually have a one-way metric. And the Vikings are just popping off the screen this week for one, like if not the best, you know, top two uh, matchup of the week in the combined yards before contact. So Cook's going to have some runway and yeah the texas defense really hasn't been bad this year they've done a great job limiting big plays but you know we have seen these teams really be able to hashtag you know establish it on the <laughs> ground when they wanted to and we know with gary kubiak and the vikings i mean the fact that Kirk cousins hasn't hit 30 pass attempts in a game this year despite them getting blown out and then with a in a shootout with the titans like what what do they need for him to throw the ball more so uh you know i, I would say don't be afraid to go with dalvin cook and then uh you know we're seeing uh brandon cooks and will fuller just have you know the astronomical ownership but but Randall Cobb's the one that's out there on the field all the time. And I think, uh, you know, that week one dud is still kind of really sticking out in people's minds. But uh, I know Fuller and Cooks have been a little banged up, but they've, including Cobb, they've all been out on the field about the same uh, amount of time this year from a route run perspective. So, you know, if you want to go Watson, Cook, like Fuller and Cobb, I think that uh, could be a way of, you know, again, having a real high ceiling in this potential shootout, but also differentiating things just a little bit. Alex, you have Dalvin Cook projected for almost 103 rushing yards this week. Uh, that's a lot. You haven't projected for the, the most rushing yards of any running back on this slate. 0.65 touchdowns. You can find this at the uh, NFL DFS projected stats at awesome.com. That's a, that's a lofty number in what should be a, a pretty competitive game. Yeah, I, I mean, he doesn't have the largest share of rushing attempts uh, in the league because Alexander Madison gets some work. So what I'm looking at here is what you guys were talking about, where Houston's run defense just isn't very good, and the efficiency from Minnesota has been elite on the ground. Uh, with my combined metric from this year and last year, 4.9 yards per rush. That's really strong, and... Uh, I think he can he can definitely justify a seventy six hundred dollar price tag. 
again, not quite as good as Camaros, and maybe going to be more contrary and because of that. So I think that's a, a really good play with Dalvin Cook. And then with David Johnson going into the week, I was uh, I was really excited because he's ha- been having this big workload. But then I look back at week one, and Duke Johnson actually got a good share. I know, Ian, you're a big Duke Johnson fan. Uh, you said in your Twitter profile he's a three-down back. and He uh, is, man. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm worried that David Johnson's workload is not going to be quite as high. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, I, well, okay, let me throw this over to you then, Ian, to uh, kind of expand on what Alex just said. Yeah, it, you have him as a three-down back in your in your Twitter bio. First of all, is, is that is that tongue-in-cheek or is that a legitimate <laughs> feeling? I truly think so, man. It's okay. Hugh Jackson and Bill O'Brien are the only people that have – dude, Duke Johnson is the U's all-time leading rusher, and just because Hugh and Bill O'Brien have decided that he doesn't deserve his three-down role, that's not going to change my mind about it, man. The dude's <laughs> got like a higher BMI than David Johnson. He's been more efficient in everything throughout his career. He, the, the games he missed this year are the first games he has ever missed. It's not like he's too small to handle the role normally, but I do think David's still going to be like a 70%, 80% guy, but he's been playing almost every down uh, these last few weeks so i don't quite trust uh bob to you know go out there and uh put duke out there for any major amount of snaps but uh like alex i was surprised to see that duke i think it was like he had five carries and 14 snaps or something like that in week one so he's going to be involved uh, to the extent that i think where there's so much value uh, in that range that you don't need you know lock button david or anything yeah david johnson 95 plus percent of snaps in each of his last two games uh 81 to 24 percent Johnson and Duke or David and Duke Johnson in week one. Uh, but yeah, you would assume that uh, outside of somebody like CJ pro size, Duke Johnson's definitely going to siphon off a little bit of that workload. And uh, in, in this game, what are some ways to be different uh, if we're looking to get exposure to Minnesota or Houston uh, and maybe separate ourselves from the field a little bit? You already mentioned Randall Cobb. Is, is there anything else you like here? And are you willing to eat the chalk with the Deshaun Watson team stack and run it back with maybe a Thielen or a Jefferson or a Diggs? I was about to say, I think you can look at the Vikings uh, receivers as well. I just can't get on Kirk Cousins because he's just not throwing the ball enough, but it is fairly condensed now between Thielen and Justin Jefferson, so even if you know he is only going to throw uh, for 250 yards and a couple scores, the majority of that work could be going to his top two uh, receivers, so a little surprised Jefferson doesn't have a, you know higher ownership after just booming uh, last week, so I'm fine going back to the well. It wasn't like, like, cause like you know, Mikko Harbin had that big Monday night game, but his role was the same. He just made the most out of some random opportunities Justin Jefferson and T Higgins like they actually boomed up into the starting lineup Uh, Jefferson was just their slot receiver the first two weeks he was playing full-time on the outside alongside Thielen last week and he looked great doing it so you know Thielen and or Jefferson I'm fine rolling with because you know they are cemented as those top two pretty much like a poor man's version of the Seahawks offense at this point yeah and Alex Justin Jefferson had a 41 percent target share in week three Uh, but if you put that if, if if you contextualize that it's a 43% or it's a 41% market share in an offense, as Ian pointed out, that simply isn't throwing the ball off than only 27 attempts for Kirk Cousins. So it was great to see that. But generally speaking, if a guy has a 40 plus percent market share targets, it's going to be more than nine targets. Uh, and, and that's what he saw. Yeah, I think uh, Justin Jefferson, I, I think he's a really good play. I mean, uh, from an objective standpoint, just we don't have a lot of data on the first year guys and he's been one of the standouts playing 80% of the snaps so far. Um, and he's been targeted 15 times, which, uh, when you look at it as a percentage, uh, 
is 20% of his routes he's getting targeted, which is good. But as you guys mentioned, Minnesota's a run-first team, so that that does make it more game script dependent. And uh, that's not something I hate because it drives the ownership off of him. So I think Justin Jefferson's solid. The contrarian play I'm looking at, actually, I don't know how contrarian this is, but Jordan Aikens on Houston. Last year, Fells and Aikens basically split time. This year, Aikens has run 80% of dropbacks he's run a route on. And uh, the targets haven't been great, 12 over the first three games. So uh, that's why I think he's a good play at 3,300 on DraftKings. And I think a lot of the ownership is going to go to Darren Waller. Something Aikens might be a good value option. I'll stick with you here for a minute, Alex, as we transition to this New Orleans-Detroit game, which I like on, on a number <laughs> of levels. But it has to start with Alvin Kamara. 40% projected ownership right now at Osavo.com. Absurd. Uh, $8,000 salary on DraftKings. It's really high, but it, it makes sense for a number of, uh, of reasons. But one of them very simply being Michael Thomas has been ruled out again. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders, I don't think, has provided the same type of production uh, and opportunity opportunity, sorry, that many were expecting him to. Uh, and then Traquan Smith has been you know, he's been serviceable for sure, but he's still Traquan Smith. And you've got Jared Cook. So there, there are a few mouths to feed here. But there's just simply no question that in Drew Brees' eyes and Sean Payton's eyes, Alvin Kamara, particularly without Michael Thomas, uh, is going to be the go-to guy uh, in, in, in all areas of this offense with the Saints being three-and-a-half-point road favorites. Yeah, Kamara's going to be really tough to fade this week. I mean, he, he broke my big board metric where I, I made the, high, the best play from last year, 99 out of 100, and Kamara is coming in at 100. So... <laughs> Yeah, like the the metrics are insane. He's been targeted 31 times, and like that's enough to really justify a high price tag in itself. And then you throw in, you know, uh, 10 to 15 rushing attempts that we can project him for, and that's just like insane value. We saw last year, uh, the peak kind of running back price should be around like 10k on DraftKings and FanDuel, and Kamara's 8k on DraftKings, 8.8 on FanDuel. So better play on DraftKings. But he's a significantly underpriced, in my opinion. Ian, there's something really valuable about <clears throat> running back targets because, you know, in, in full PPR, the, the likelihood that you catch them is so much higher than any other position. And, and Alvin Kamara now on the season has caught 27 of 31 reception or pass targets. But not just that. This guy can do so much after the catch. We saw that on Monday night. Uh, it's not like Leonard Fournette last year where he'd get six targets and he catch four of them for 15 yards. Uh, it's just the, how valuable these these targets are is is something we can't really overstate. Do you are, are you with this ownership? Is is this a spot where you're just eating the chalk and and going along for the ride? He's at, yeah, he's at least a thousand dollars, still too cheap, uh, yeah. in, in my opinion. And yeah, it's I don't think the way the full point per reception, like proper, properly, uh, you know, takes football success and puts it into fancy terms. I mean, just catching the ball should not be equivalent <laughs> to a guy running, you know, 10 yards <laughs> downfield, but that's how it is. So well, we got to, you yeah, know, exactly. recognize that. So he is on pace for 144 catches this year. McCaffrey <laughs> set the record for the position at 116. I mean, truly, like anything we get on, a, on the rundowns is just like icing on the cake. You can almost justify that's just based on the receiving usage alone so yeah I, I think Kamara you know just just eat the chalk because it's he's gonna be there and, and I, as you were pointing out I mean the running back targets are so much easier uh, to kind of project and guarantee than any other position 
Do you like any pass catching options from the New Orleans Saints, knowing that Drew Brees, when it comes to A dot, this guy's not going to be chucking downfield unless they're playing from behind. And we saw the level of success or lack thereof that he had last week uh, attempting to do that uh, and against the, the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, only one is Adam Trotman, the tight end, coming in at you know Stone Men twenty five hundred. Uh, just an easy way to uh, just save some salary all around. He looks pretty good. I mean, they've already been using him this year a little bit in some two tight end sets. And you know, coming out of Dayton, he was kind of regarded as uh, maybe the best receiving tight end coming out. So rookie tight ends never do anything, but at least in the New Orleans system, I think we can expect him to use him more as just a wide receiver. Otherwise, I mean, Traquan to his credit, he's looked really good after the catch uh, this season with his opportunities, but just no kind of guarantee or any sort of feel of him or Sanders is going to, you know, even see more than five targets. So uh, Jared Cook originally was the person I thought would be benefiting the most after Kamara from having Michael Thomas out. So, you know, without Cook in there and Trotman, who's, you know, going to be priced at about half of what Cook would be. I mean, I think it's a fine uh, dart throw out there. Yeah, my apologies. I think I mentioned Jared Cook earlier when listing these pass catchers, but he's been ruled out for week four. Um, Alex, the, the Detroit side, the, the targets have been kind of flat. The distribution of targets has been kind of flat for Stafford, and I didn't expect that. Uh, now, Kenny Galladay back into the mix. We could see it a little bit more concentrated, but you have two very good outside receivers, two just good receivers in general in Galladay and Marvin Jones, uh, and then Danny Amendola, who's always going to be involved but isn't much of a fantasy threat. I've got to say, and I'm using the PFF, the PFF grades here, if you take a look at, at the New Orleans Saints uh, secondary, they're not grading out very good this year at all. And, and I expected them to be better. Marshawn Lattimore, I think, is sub 50 uh, with an overall grade. Point being is I expect them to, to bounce back. I, I do anticipate this defense figuring things out. But I'm not putting it past Matthew Stafford, who was on pace for 5,000 yards last year, to be able to keep pace through the air. Uh, what are you doing with, with the Detroit Lions, even though – the run game is just such a, a mess with Peterson. And I, I don't really want to touch that, but what are you doing with the passing game? Well, I think it's definitely a negative matchup versus New Orleans, other than the fact that you know, New Orleans can put up a lot of points and keep Detroit passing. But they've uh, New Orleans over the past two seasons has been 28th in pace. They give up less yardage per play than an average team. Uh, and they also are really effective on offense, so they're going to have longer drives and give less time to the Lions. So it, all those factors kind of lead me to, to having the Lions project a little bit worse than your average week. But I think uh, you got guys like Galladay. Um, I mean, Galladay in specific, he, he just has a lot of upside. So I, I think as a contrary in play or as part of a game stack, you can go there for sure. I don't mind Adrian Peterson either, but the price is a little bit high given that he's Adrian Peterson. But <laughs> he kind of uh, established himself as the number one guy last week. He got 85% of the, the carries. So, um, yeah, was, that was a little disappointing to all of us in best ball who didn't know Adrian Peterson would even be on the lines. But that's how it goes, right? <laughs> yeah, this, this dude is undefeated against Father Time. It's, it's <laughs> remarkable. Ian, as a PFF guy, let me ask you about the – this uh, advantage that you guys in your quarterback wide receiver matchups, which I love, by the way, uh, are giving him, by the way, for anyone that doesn't know this, because it took me like, I swear to God, it took me three years to figure out that the all caps meant a shadow matchup. I had no idea. And then one day it clicked. 
and I figured everything out and it changed my life. But uh, Marshawn Lattimore, uh, Kenny Galladay showing with a massive 60% advantage. The only one with a higher advantage this week is Cooper Cup at 73% against Darnay Holmes. Well, here's the thing, man. We got to get that update because Lattimore's out with a hamstring injury and Janoris Jenkins is out with a shoulder injury. So I, you know, I, I kind of agree with what you were saying. We were surprising to see the Saints doing as bad as they were doing uh, early in the season. But, uh, you know, the expected kind of regression back to being a better defense is probably going to have to wait because they don't have those uh, top two corners out there. So, uh, you know, probably PJ Williams and who knows, it's going to be a backup corner and certainly Galladay can, uh, can probably beat them like a drum. And yeah, you know, wasn't really a matchup uh, to worry about uh, to begin with. I think Lattimore is good you know we, we've seen a matchup really well with mike evans uh, over the years but you know i think shadow matchups more of something to you know maybe be a tiebreaker at the end between two evenly ranked guys and something you really lean on uh, the only other thing i bring up in this game is tj hawkinson actually had a nice little role change uh last week i know he didn't have the flow chart performance against the cardinals everyone was <laughs> hoping for but season high in routes and uh, uh he was actually out there more than he'd been and you know with galladay coming back i was expecting you know him to be one jones and then amandola and fortunately hawkinson like four like the guy's been great with with his opportunities they just don't use them a lot but seems like a situation that maybe just maybe we actually see him uh rise up in that top two or three of Stafford's target share so I don't mind going back to bank uh with with a uh, Hawkinson this week man I totally missed it Lattimore and Jenkins are both out that's significant that's really significant regardless of what their grades are there's still guys that you want on the football field uh all in all it's it's definitely a game that you're going to see Alvin come up well and another thing too Alex if you're stacking uh, the Detroit Lions and they're coming in with with less ownership than I originally would have suspected. Uh, we've got them. We've got Stafford's ownership right now sub five percent. So I, my assumption is that Galladay is going to be getting a little bit, but uh, some people don't necessarily want to pay almost five k for T.J. Hawkinson. I think he's a pretty solid play just based on ownership alone. Uh, but yeah, no one's coming in above eight percent. Kenny Galladay at eight point nine. Uh, would this be a spot where you can uh, where you can stack them and then just run it back with Alvin Kamara with a way to get a little bit different in this game? Yeah, not uh, getting different with Kamara, obviously, but with <laughs> stacking the opposite side of that game. For sure, yeah, I think that the Lions always have a lot of upside. Pretty efficient uh, passing the the football, and they got good receivers. The only thing is opportunity cost is pretty high because you got T.J. Hawkinson at four point eight k. Darren Waller is like 5,200 and getting twice as many targets. So it becomes pretty hard to, to get there. But if it's like a contrarian stand you're making in one lineup or like 10 lineups or whatever, I think it's uh, a solid one. Ian, Miami <coughs> Dolphins put a hurting on Garner Minshew's Jacksonville Jaguars last week. Uh, now you've got them at home in Miami facing a Seattle team that is – allowing more passing yards than I can remember seeing any team allow through the first three weeks. They're, on average, I think it's 430 passing yards per game allowed by the Seattle team, 461 to Dallas, 397 to Newton's Patriots, 434 to Matt Ryan. And uh, lo and behold, they're 3-1 and one because Russell Wilson can't miss. But talk to me about both sides of this one where you know ownership will come in pretty heavy on these wide receivers for Seattle. But on the opposite side, I don't know if we can really sleep on Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's the type of gunner that can win you tournaments or be the reason you come in last place. 
Yeah, two best quarterbacks here, Russell Wilson, whoever is facing the Seahawks, seemingly. And now <laughs> exactly. the Seahawks' uh, secondary, which, again, has already not been stopping anyone, is even more banged up. Quentin Dunbar there, you know, solid outside corner, uh, is out with a knee injury. And Jamal Adams, their game-changing safety, out with a groin. I mean, Cowboys were struggling to even move, really move the ball until Adams uh, got out last week. He truly is, you know, one of the more, uh, especially in the front seven, uh, best players out there. So, uh, you know, I got burned on my helicopter pick last week going <laughs> with Chris Carson because Russell Wilson decides, you know, throw for three touchdowns from the one yard line but (laughs) it seems like he's healthy enough to be back there this week so i don't hate going back to the well there you know i'm not going to put my uh, reputation on the line again but if you wanted to go with fitzpatrick you know carson and just hope that you know he soups up most of the seahawks uh, touchdowns and then, you know, run it out with uh, Devontae Parker, maybe Mike Jasicki. It could work out. I mean, I know Troy Aikman on the broadcast was talking about Parker, you know, not running full speed and all that, but his snaps have gone up every single week and he's actually averaging career high yards per target. And then with Jasicki and Preston Williams, like they had the bad game because, as you said, like the Jaguars. Uh, were able to, uh, I'm sorry, the Jaguars got stomped by the Dolphins, and because of that, Fitzpatrick only had 20 pass attempts, so I don't think that's going to be a situation where we see him, you know, forced to throw that little uh, time. You know, we've seen slot receivers just gash uh, the Seahawks defense all season, and that's what Jasicki is. He plays in the slot, you know, an overwhelming amount of his snaps, so a little annoying that Isaiah Ford uh, steals his opportunity, but I still think that Jasicki will finish at number two on his team in targets, so I, I get the, you know, reasoning for wanting Russ and Metcalf and Lockett, but if you really want to, you know, go out on the limb here uh going back to well what carson can't hurt all right yeah it's been another kind of flat distribution of targets alex when it comes to miami yeah i don't know maybe i'm crazy here maybe i'm just seeing this through rose-colored glasses hoping that Devonte parker starts to get uh you know more overall opportunities as the clear best option on this team but uh it's it's been a, a kind of strange team early on they're moving the football uh, against teams that are allowing it uh, against the Patriots. I'm not terribly worried that they struggled. Uh, but if, if you look at the target shares, like Gusecki's at 20%, Parker at 18, Isaiah Ford at 17, uh, Miles Gaskins at 17%, Preston Williams at 15. As much as I want to get to Miami, and I assume I will, uh, it's just, I, I, I wish it wasn't this difficult to try and figure out who's going to be getting the the bulk of targets or at least enough targets to feel comfortable. What are you doing here given the, uh, the, the wide distribution that we're seeing of targets on this Miami Dolphins team in a really good matchup? I think Parker really stands out as a great option this week. Seattle's uh, passing defense, as you guys are mentioning, is below average. And if you just look at his season averages, uh, you, you're not uh, accounting for the fact that he only played like one-third of the first game. So he played sure. 32% of routes in game one. Last week he played, he ran routes on 100% of passing plays. So he's really back to full full go. He's been targeted a good percentage of the time he's been on the field. So he's really standing out to me as a great play. The price is high too, but uh, a great GPP play. And then uh, Isaiah Ford, who you guys mentioned, it might be a nice little value flyer you could take that that's not going to get a lot of ownership because... There are a lot of mouths to feed, but he's getting targeted a lot when he's on the field. Last week, his playing time was the lowest. It's been at 54% of uh, dropbacks. Um, Jasicki saw uptick in, in routes to counteract that, I guess. So it's, it's not going to be a, a really consistent player in Isaiah Ford, but he has uh, a pretty good upside for the price. What about Miles Gaskin? He actually leads this team with 15 receptions on 16 targets. Again, just running backs hauling in pretty much everything that's thrown to them. 
He's not done uh, an exceptional amount with it, but he is getting the rock quite a bit. Against Jacksonville, he had 27 total looks. Uh, is, is this a game that you could see him remaining involved at $5,000 being worth it? Yeah, I mean, he's pretty much the cheapest running back I think you can play this week. Um, and last week, uh, he saw his highest snap counts by far. He's always been running uh, a ton of routes at the backfield for, for the Dolphins, but last week he got 73% of the rushing attempts, up from 38% in week one and two. And that kind of volume is worth a lot, that 5K price tag. It's it's kind of reasonable because Miami, you can't project them to score a ton of, of touchdowns, but uh, players in that price range are pretty hard to come by. Guys, if you're loving the NBA content at Awesome be sure to use that promo code Orlando. Uh, to get a week of Awesomeo Plus showdown content, all of it, Awesomeo Plus, all NBA content for these finals. Who knows how many games are going to be left? Likely only two. Uh, but all of that for $5. It's $10 off. Uh, and, you know, we've had some guys winning some huge money. I think uh, our boy Ryan just won 100 plus K over on FanDuel on the NBA showdown slate. I'm not saying you sign up for $5 and you're catching 100 grand the, the very next day, but it definitely puts you in a great position to succeed because when you have good projections good ownership uh the rankings the top players for these single game slates there's legitimate opportunity to make money use the promo code orlando and if you want all content football baseball still in full swing with 16 teams in the postseason less now but still a lot of teams left uh nba nascar ufc uh pga go to awesome.com join all of the tools developed used by alex baker himself he is the number one ranked DFS player in the world, and these are actually his tools. We're not just slapping his name on him. That's why people come here, and that's why people win real money and a lot of it. So go to awesome.com slash join, and be sure to check out our premium Slack chat. Say what's up when you decide to sign up. People talking DFS, sports betting, everything around the clock. It's a fun community. Be happy to welcome you, awesome.com slash join. And remember, Orlando, if you want to get that week of NBA Showdown content for just $5. All right, Ian. Back over to you, man. The, the Buffalo Bills, I can't remember the last time they've been in a game with a 50-plus point implied total but, or, or over on there, but this is what happens, right? Josh Allen is a revelation, and who, he doesn't need John Brown. He'll throw with the guys you've never heard of. Uh, he can have two <laughs> digs, touchdowns, call back. Doesn't matter. He's been a stud uh, from a guy whose deep ball percentage his, the, the rate that he connected on those passes was so bad in his first two seasons. He's completely revamped everything, turned it around. He's actually been accurate enough to make big plays. Uh, and here you are, they're three-point favorites, 52.5-point total against the Raiders. Yeah, man, and he is just keeps putting up points. And I think we can kind of expect the Raiders to keep pacing this, too. They're not you're not great out there. I think that, you know, Saints game, a uh, little bit lesser version of the Saints, at least so far this year, might have overreacted to them getting that win. But, you know, to Derek Carr's credit, he's able to, you know, put the ball in the Darren Waller's uh, chest a lot. So that's kind of all we need here. So I think Waller, you know, with these wide receiver injuries, uh, kind, of deser- kind of deserves to be the chalk that uh, he's turned out to be. And, you know, not every team is the Patriots, and they can just kind of remove the best players seemingly at will. So. 
uh, expecting him to be able to do his thing. I'm not so much on the Renfro play. I mean, I know slot receivers have been killing uh, this Bills defense this season, but I'm at some point I just got to draw a line. Every time I see a picture of that dude, it's like, this guy's an NFL player, really. So maybe <laughs> I'm being ignorant there, but I think Josh Jacobs uh, is a potential play because, you know, again, we've been talking about all these values in the upper, upper 5K range, and then you got your Kamara and Zeke at the top, but there's a lot of really good running, uh, running back options between them, and I understand why the ownership is on them as high, but you know, Jacobs is kind of with their with uh, Derrick Henry, where they're called these you know game script dependent backs. But even if the Raiders lose by a couple of touchdowns, I'd be shocked if Jacobs is getting fewer than 15 touches. And he always has the upside for 30. So uh, you know, NFL leader in broken tackles this year, he looks as good as ever. And you know, anytime you uh, you know are trotting Josh Jacobs out there against a defense that should have some better days, but hasn't been playing great so far, you got that multi touchdown uh, big game upside. So uh, I really like you know going with the Bills, uh, you know, passing game, which we're all expecting, but riding it back with Jacobs, who I think just is the engine of this Raiders offense. Let me stick with you on this for a second. With Henry Ruggs not expected to play uh, first-round rookie, you mentioned Renfro, and then you've got Darren Waller at very high ownership. Uh, how, how appealing really is it to stack the passing game? Obviously, you're high on Josh Jacobs, and for good reason, but is there any value in trying to figure something out with this passing game, knowing that Waller's going to be the only one uh, that, that's really getting much attention because it's it's kind of tough when you're looking at Renfro and, and Nelson Aguilar. Oh, you said it. I was waiting for it. I was seeing if we were going to talk about Nelson Aguilar. Yeah, man, it's been <laughs> eating me alive. Bro, I don't know if you'll ever meet someone that has shares more disdain for Nelson Aguilar than myself. <laughs> I'm a diehard Eagles fan. When he, when he showed that explosion – uh, after the catch in week two, I've never seen that in the many years he's been there. I don't get it, but whatever. Go ahead. He's actually getting 3% ownership. And then, Alex, we'll get your take on this game. Well, last year, I was never more certain anything than I was fading Aguilar during his chalk week, and the guy ends up <laughs> catching two touchdowns then after he dropped one. So, you know what? It's uh, That was a miss on, on mine last year, and so was, uh, you know, fading Brashad Perryman at the end of the year after those wide receivers were out. You know, as we always say, follow opportunity, not talent. Aguilar is going to have the opportunity, and, you know, his ownership would probably be, what, 5% higher if his name wasn't Nelson Aguilar. So, you know, I, I understand the, uh, you know, the, the hatred towards it, but as you he does do good things after the catch in this Raiders offense where, you know, Carr never wants to throw the ball for three yards downfield anyway. It could be playing to his strengths. So if you really want to get down there, and again, without these Patriots uh, wide receivers now with Bird and uh, Harry out of the picture, I do think Aguilar is probably one of the cheaper receivers you can, like, somewhat stomach. All right. I'm willing to put my hatred aside when it comes to DFS, <laughs> but with Nelson Aguilar, it's difficult. Uh, Alex, the – the passing game for the Raiders is really showing that people are focused on one spot and that's Darren Waller. Uh, and also on the ground game with Josh Jacobs, as Ian just mentioned, 6,800 on Jacobs, 5,200 on Waller. He disappointed quite a bit of people last week in a tough spot against the Patriots. Do we see a bounce back spot or a bounce back performance from this Oakland <laughs> Las Vegas Raiders <laughs> offense? I like the Raiders this week. Um, Buffalo isn't a bad defense and the, the pace is slow. But the Raiders' offense has been better than expected, and Josh Jacobs is getting more targets than we're used to. He's averaged a little bit more than four a game, and that just adds a little bit of extra points to to a player who is already a workhorse uh, back. So that's really nice. And then Waller, as you guys mentioned, with a couple of injuries to the Rugs and Brian Edwards, really stands out as a great play. 
Um, Aguilar, I, I might be able to get down with that in a few lineups. Uh, <laughs> never feel great about it, but uh, yeah, he. If we look at the snap counts from last week when Rugs didn't play, Aguilar was in on ninety percent of dropbacks, and that's really encouraging. Uh, what about Buffalo here? Uh, do we have an update on on uh, Zach Moss yet? Has anyone seen an update on Zach Moss? I think he's still, he's still questionable? just questionable. Yeah, but toe yeah. injury, man, that's kind of troubling. <laughs> Singletary might just get that same featured role. Either way, I know, and and I think that's a a big piece of news that we're waiting on, Alex. What happens with Zach Moss? Uh, does Singletary finally find a way to punch it into the end zone? <laughs> Look, he he's been pretty involved. He had 18 total looks last game, which I'm okay with. He was on the field a lot, uh, but other than that. Stefan Diggs has been a stud this season. Should have had a better game last week, but that's okay. He's still one of, or he's still the top target of, of uh, Josh Allen. And I don't necessarily know what the status of, actually, John Brown is good to go, right? Full practice, no injury designation. So you got both of those outside guys back. Uh, what are you doing with Buffalo, Josh Allen, and the run game? Man, Buffalo has been outstanding in passing the ball this year so far, and that's been the big surprise of the season. They've averaged a ridiculous uh, 9.1 yards per attempt, which is uh, better than even Ryan Tannehill last year. Um, but yeah, you got two really good receivers in Diggs and, and Brown. They're expensive, so you got to pay for them, and I'm hoping that'll drive the ownership down because the game stack here looks really appealing. All right, I wanted to save this game for last uh, in this subject of high-owned uh, stacks or at least popular high-scoring, projected high-scoring stacks in Arizona Cardinals and Carolina Panthers. There's a lot of moving parts in this game, like DeAndre Hopkins not practicing, being a, a game-time decision, Christian Kirk remaining questionable. Uh, and then on the other side, Mike Davis just amazingly getting targeted on 45% of the routes that he ran last week. Uh, and then DJ Moore coming in really chalky. Uh, let's start. Let's start with the Carolina Panthers. And I want to actually start off by asking you about Robbie Anderson for this reason. He's coming in with way less projected ownership than DJ Moore, and I think that's fair. They're very similarly priced, only two hundred dollars less expensive than Moore on DraftKings. But he's holding eighty-three percent of his passes. His his target share is only two percent lower than DJ Moore this season. Uh, he's been on the field almost the same amount of time, and he leads the team in red zone targets with four. Are we overvaluing more in this matchup and undervaluing Robbie Anderson, or is this where you think it should be? I think we're fine to expect a nice bounce back, uh spot from Moore here, but yeah, the disparity in ownership between him and Robbie seems a little bit unwarranted. I mean, Robbie's the PPR wide receiver 10 this season, and it's not, you know, normally if he was putting up these numbers with the Jets, we would say, okay, it's not sustainable because he was used as such a pure field stretcher there, but his average target depth is under 10. I mean, he was usually at four, 14 or 16 uh, with the Jets over these years, so they're truly using him as just a true, you know, kind of 1B uh, wide receiver. I mean, again, I do think DJ Moore is going to be the number one guy when it's all all said and done but it's not unreasonable for this offense to enable you know two top 20 uh receivers here moving forward if they're gonna keep uh passing this much so you know especially with dj Moore potentially drawing uh patrick peterson again i mean i, I don't think we should just look at one matchup uh, as the uh, you know end all be all and you know dj he, he's you know that more elusive receiver i is, is gonna give peterson more trouble than, you know a bigger physical guy but you know with i, I don't i don't want to 
pay up on I mean, it's not paying up but i don't want to roster dj more at 30 percent ownership or something like that when robbie's sitting there again with likely a better matchup and seemingly a reasonable uh, uh tar- target projection the same way so i'm off at dj and honestly mike davis even a little bit too man i know he's got the targets but he got nine of those targets and mop up time two weeks ago he's made the most of it i mean he looks fine out there but i just think out of you know all those running backs there's 55 to six thousand. you know we're, we're, we're guessing that this pretty small sample size for davis is going to keep on keeping on i mean mccaffrey wasn't even getting that many targets in the first uh you know six quarters he was able to play this year not so even I'm, close exactly so I'm like, are we really sure mike davis is gonna keep getting eight to ten per game so that's my only hesitation there it's crazy i mentioned this on a show earlier this week davis was targeted on 45 percent of the routes he ran Christian McCaffrey targeted on like 17% of Exactly. That. So that disparity is so wide. There's no way it's sustained. There's no way they're like, oh, man, look what we got in Mike Davis. Time to start peppering him with targets. I don't know. I think there's value there, Alex, but it is pretty wild that of the top five highest projected owned players right now on this slate, Mike Davis and DJ Moore are number three and number four, respectively. Robbie Anderson is way down the list, around 7 8% right now. Yeah, I, I, Robbie Anderson is an interesting case because last year he got targeted on 15% of routes. This year for uh, Panthers, he's getting targeted 22.8% of routes. So that is a huge jump, and it's a little bit hard to break that down because it encapsulates so many different things. Going from the Jets to the Panthers, obviously that's a huge change. and uh, But it also accounts for like stuff like separation where... You got to get open. Uh, so I, I don't know exactly what to make of that. But DJ Moore uh, does really stand out because he's getting targeted a lot. So I think that uh, I'm buying in on DJ Moore. Robbie Anderson looks like a good play, but I'm not sure I'm buying the, the results so far. And then Mike Davis, I agree with you guys. It's kind of hard to like know what to make of it. But even if he gets half as many targets as he's been getting, he's in a really good spot. Are you getting to, to Kenyon Drake, Ian? on the other side of this um i mean hey it's any running back against the panthers has pretty much been a cheat code for these last two seasons so (laughs) yeah yeah. and again that's why like i'm talking about mike davis like why go with mike davis when we can just look at the other side of the ball and get Kenyon drake who i I would you know definitely project uh for for, for just more raw points uh, in this matchup at less ownership so yeah i mean Kenyon drake he's been the lead rb1 he's been better on the ground than chase edmonds i mean the usage has been there that's why you know he's been a you know a kind of prime by low uh candidate in season long leagues throughout uh, the past few weeks but yeah, it's just one of these games he's going to, you know, start to find the end zone on those uh, 20 or so touches, and I don't see why it can't be this one. All right, let's uh, let, let's do a little rapid fire here on two players at the quarterback position, projected under 2%. Ian, the first one I'll throw at you, uh, and then Alex, I've got one for you, is Lamar Jackson, 1.6% projected ownership right now. Uh, very, very low on Lamar, coming off a very rough game against a Kansas City Chiefs team that in three tries he has yet to defeat. He's 21 and one against the rest of the league. 0 and three against the New England Patriots. Uh, you know, I think we updated it. 3.3% ownership now, but never the nonetheless, still very, very unpopular against the Redskins. This line has moved all the way to 14, 14 and a half in some spots. I know people worry about blowouts, but I don't know. It seems a little different. In the NFL, when you're Lamar Jackson, who is responsible for such a large percentage of their offense to begin with. So, I don't know. If they score 35 points in the first three quarters, my assumption is that he's going to have a lot to do with it. 
can you uh, can you get to Lamar at this price point, knowing that he's almost entirely unowned going into Sunday? Yeah, and I think you know we've kind of seen. I guess Marquise Brown his price is up a little bit now, but it's not like you got to stack him with someone. You know, this eight thousand dollar alpha wide receiver one. Right. So while he is priced up more at the quarterback because Marquise and Mark Andrews are a little more uh, inexpensive than you know, say Metcalf or Lockett, you, you, you do save a little bit of cash there. But yeah, and I mean it's not you know people with the lazy take like oh the NFL has solved Lamar Jackson after the one game. I mean no. he had he had a Hollywood Brown open deep twice. <laughs> if he hits any of those, those are touchdowns. Mark Andrews, Andrews dropped one. Andrews dropped one like, dude, this could have been a completely different game. And, you know, the Washington football team, I don't think it's going to even put them close enough with Chase Young out. And, you know, looked really good in week one against the Eagles. I think we all got excited. But as we're finding out, maybe the Eagles are just uh, really not what we were expecting. So, yeah, prime bounce back spot for Lamar, Hollywood, uh, Andrews. I just wonder if we can get to anyone in this run game because they are splitting it so much right now. I mean, Mark Ingram had at least 12 touches in 12 or 15 games last year. Hasn't even met that mark once. But, you know, we're talking a two-touchdown favorite. I think one of these running backs is going to find the end zone i just have like no confidence as to which one it's going to be me neither and i can assure you i was not excited about that chase young game at all but uh, i can understand why everybody would be he was fantastic uh, but i just i don't I, I mentioned to you guys earlier in the week that if you've been watching the show i i jumped on baltimore and i laid 13 with them and then it went to 12 and a half so that's kind of weird and then it's up to 14, 14 and a half. I just think this is an absolute route of a game. And I just don't understand how Dwayne Haskins can keep it competitive. Uh, I think Lamar runs all over him. So I have no problem going Lamar and just one pass catcher. I don't, I'm not looking for a game stack situation here at all. Uh, Alex, what about Joe Burrow against Jacksonville? I know it's likely going to be a slow paced game, but Mixon might not play. Burrow's dropping back 700 times every Sunday. Uh, is there some value here? Yeah, I mean, Joe Burrow looks great. Cincinnati is throwing the ball at one of the highest rates in the league, probably because they've been down and playing catch-up like almost every game, but they've thrown the ball 69% of the time, a very nice number. And uh, <laughs> I think uh, the, the prices on the guys aren't great. Um, Tyler Boyd is 6100 That seems like really expensive for him. T. Higgins at 4500 maybe... But it's, I, I don't know if I'm going to get to a stack just because everyone's so expensive and, and it's a week with the really good values. All right. Hey, com. If you want to head over there right now, it's totally free. It's awesome. And with all of these books giving away essentially free money, giving you massive deals to sign up, huge deposit bonuses, uh, if you go over to odds, com. Uh, everything on the site is free from the watch list, the bet tracker. You can search odds and shop odds from all of these different books. And my favorite part is you can just type the player's name in and their props will pop up and you can get them a list of all of the different books. With that said, Ian, we'll go to you first. Let's talk about some of our favorite props for the week four slate of 11 main slate games. Yeah, I've been going more in on uh, over-under start so far. So, again, I mentioned before I have this uh, mismatch manifesto article I do. And one thing I've been looking at is uh, with the back-end PFF stuff, I have an EPA per play on every offense and defense. And I've just been combining those. And so far, matchups that have featured uh, a positive combined EPA per play on, on both sides of the ball. So both offenses have been set up pretty well. They're hitting that 12-3 and three this year. And I know there's been, you know, uh, points flying off the board in general. So I'm not trying to say I've, you know, beat over-unders or anything like that. But uh, a couple matchups where that does apply to 
this week, and I think we're seeing, you know, two good offenses versus two pretty mad defenses, and that's Saints-Lions uh, only sitting at 54, Vikings-Texans at 53.5, Seahawks-Dolphins at 54.5, and, and Bills-Raiders at 52.5. So, you know, I think a lot of these overs were, you know, in the high 40s a couple weeks ago, and we are starting to see them adjust. But, you know, anytime you can get these two underrated offenses like the Raiders and like the Dolphins, where, again, everyone knows the Bills and Seahawks, but, you know, look at the other side of the ball too. Uh, those are situations where, you know, I think we can more confidently project uh, all sorts of points being scored. What about you, Alex? I've got a couple good ones, I think, player props specifically that, that I'm going to hit you with in just a moment. But what, have you, what are you coming up with with your projections in conjunction with some of these props you're seeing? Yeah, I've been having a lot of fun betting these. Uh, I got to take a big victory lap on the Braxton Berrios under 40 yards on Thursday because he barely like was on the field. So that yeah. was. Did he have a catch? I, I don't. He didn't get any fantasy points of meaning that I remember. Yeah, I don't think he did. Yeah, that 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 was crazy. Um, the one I'm looking at right now is Baker Mayfield. The over under is 270. On the season, he's averaged 190. So like that's a massive disparity. Now, I know against uh, Dallas, they're probably going to have to throw the ball more than normal, but they do have a run-first offense compared to the, the league average, and he hasn't been particularly efficient, only 6.6 .6 yards per attempt. So even though it's a high-paced game, I just think that 270, that's just like way, way too high. Usually <laughs> there's a lot of juice on these player props, so I found one that this might this might sound disturbing to you guys, but Rob Gronkowski over 30 and a half yards <laughs> at even money. I'm in on it, man. Last week, we finally saw some legitimate involvement here. Uh, he ran 26 routes. He was targeted seven times. Uh, and we know that Tom Brady and him do have a connection. Listen, this guy is old. I get it. But Mike Evans is out. Uh, or I'm sorry. Uh, Chris Godwin is out. It does look like Scotty Miller will be back. But I don't think 30, that 30 yards is all that insane for someone like Gronk. But again, it's even money, plus 100. A lot of times you're going to have to jump on these at minus 120, minus 130. Uh, I also think Robert Woods, under five and a half receptions uh, in this spot. Really like Cooper Cup. I think this will be more of a cup game than anything else. Uh, and then I'll throw one more at you. Ezekiel Elliott, over 85 and a half yards. I get it. Could be a passing game spot here. But I think Zeke runs all over this Cleveland team, despite the fact that the run defense probably isn't as bad as many uh, would suspect it to be. All right, it's time for closing out the show. Since Ian is our guest, again, follow him on Twitter at iHeartits. Uh, I think we have his name under here somewhere. Uh, and follow Alex at DFS, myself at Lafay underscore D. It's time for the helicopter picks. We're doing this in honor of you, Ian. Tell everybody what they are first and then hit us with a couple for week four. Yeah, so idea is, you know, the, the rules are you can't have a top five highest price guy at the position. So, you know, you can't be saying, you know, Stefan Diggs is going to have a big week. And they got to have under, sub 5% projected ownership. I know it varies a little bit, you know, across sites, but we're not trying to pick the guy that everyone knows is in a great matchup in a high scoring game. We want to try to do something a little bit off the radar here. So, you know, pretty much just your typical low owned, low owned tournament pivots, but a little more fun with uh, pilots involved. So uh, I got five finalists uh, for this week. And again, we're projecting these guys to hopefully go over 100 total yards and two scores, quarterbacks 300 and four scores. 
But uh, two of the uh, one running back is David Montgomery with Tariq Cohen out. Uh, now Montgomery, you know, should be getting a lot of that pass down work. Maybe it's Patterson. The Colts defense has been good this year, but you know what? Montgomery home running back. And uh, you know, he really is a nice uh, bargain, but because there's the Mike, Mike Davis's and David Johnson, that same range we're seeing Montgomery coming lower uh, other side of the ball. Jonathan Taylor uh, is sitting there, you know, where he hasn't had these huge last two weeks, but he's still the guy in bears defense uh, third worst defense in the league right now in yards before contact allowed per attempt. So I uh, haven't quite seen the blow up game from Jonathan Taylor yet, but the touches have been there uh, wide receiver. I think pivoting off of Mike Evans in favor of Keenan Allen uh, could make sense. You know, maybe not even pivoting against Mike Evans uh, uh, either way, but just Keenan Allen, because ever since Herbert's been in there, man, he's been feeding uh, Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler alike. Going to be a game where they're uh, playing from behind. And then uh, also I, we talked about Jarvis Landry, but really like uh, the potential for him this week. And then finally Joe Burrow. I mean, I really think, uh, you know, uh, Alex was talking about not having the great uh, stacking partners and I do get that, but just so many dropbacks. And if, if uh, you know, Mixon is going to be out, it's going to be even more. Uh, we do have Higgins and Boyd there potentially. And, you know, Burrow's got a nice floor on him. He's actually got more rushing yards than Deshaun Watson, uh, even through three weeks. So we've seen the sort of volume that we want from Burrow. The problem has been the offensive line, but Hey, uh, no one's had more pressures this season than the Jacksonville Jaguars defense. So might be a situation where the one thing that can really stop Cincinnati Jaguars can't do. So those are my guys. There it is. Alex, what do we got? Man, that's 12 touchdowns right there. Thanks, man. I'm <laughs> on one a million with that. Um, the guy I'm honing in on, one of my favorite traditions is losing a bunch of money on a guy and doing it repeatedly over the course of a season. So the guy I'm honing in on is T.Y. Hilton. And, uh, okay, so the matchup versus the Bears is, is negative. Paris Campbell uh, out for a long time. Pittman is out on the IR. And they're down to Zach Pascal and a couple of practice squad guys, basically. T.Y. Hilton's been targeted almost 20% of the time. He's been out on the field this year. That's pretty good. And uh, I think that people are just going to look at his average fantasy points per game on the draft screen. It's, not, it's like basically nothing. And they're not going to click that button. But I'm going to be there losing money on him one more week. Uh, unless he gets the two touchdowns that I'm calling right now. <laughs> what'd you say well I mean, this is a two touchdown pick so okay, yeah, yeah i feel like he has that upside all right yeah i'll go with uh i'll go with marcus brown this is one of those boomer bust spots for sure and i think you know why not get into to someone like marcus brown if i already like lamar jackson uh yeah he's he's gonna give you some really ugly games but he's also marcus brown has also proven uh in his short time in the nfl that he can have those monster two touchdown uh performances uh and, and just have lamar jackson air it out to him 24 percent target share this season 37 percent of the team's air yards that's okay with me is the passing volume going to be low probably but i still know this is one of those teams that can rack up the points early on you might only need three quarters but uh yeah i'll go with marquise brown down there uh, at a pretty cheap price point, getting virtually no ownership along with the rest of this team uh, and $6,300 at the wide receiver position. All right, that'll do it for us, fellas. Ian, thanks for joining us again, man. We'll have to do this sometime soon. Again, hit him up on Twitter at iHeartits and check him out at Pro Football Focus. You know where to find Alex. You know where to find myself. Before you head out, hit that thumbs up. Subscribe, hit the notification bell as well. We'll see you back here tomorrow three straight hours of content. It's the deeper dive followed by the injury report and then live before lock taking you up to 1 PM Eastern time for the week four slate. Thanks for watching everyone. We'll see you back here soon.
Thank you.